drawn from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 1, verses 1 through 8 and 14 and 15. Hear the word of the Lord. The beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him, confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist And he ate locusts and wild honey. And this was his message. After me comes one, the one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Amen. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. May the Lord bless to us the understanding of his holy word. And may all that we take in today be that which is of him. In Christ's name, amen. On your mark, get set, you turn. This is the beginning of the good news. Repent, prepare. Well, here we are in the second week of Advent. We'll be halfway through the season of preparation by the end of this week. Are you prepared? In this kind of extended, modified quarantine situation that we're in, no one has been around to ask me if I'm ready yet which I'm not. For me, the time is both flying and crawling. Flying, because how did we get here? How much have we missed already? The seasons have blended from one to the next while we wait for the restoration of life as we want it to be. And time is crawling because we feel so impatient to get free. When I read the Gospels, sometimes I wonder how it got to be 2,020 years away from the birth of Jesus already. Every day is intentional with God. None of them are by accident. God is always working. What have we missed? What's coming up? And how can we prepare ourselves to travel from where we are today into a life that's more ready for the Lord's coming? Here's the scene. Let's talk about traveling from Jerusalem and the surrounding areas to the place where John was baptizing in the Jordan. This was a journey that large crowds of people were moved to undertake at that time. Nowadays, it would take a couple of days to walk there because you'd have to go so far out of your way to cross from Israel into the kingdom of Jordan at an official checkpoint. You'd be way up and back down again. But in the days of John and Jesus, it was probably a hot and dusty five hours straight down the road that led through Jericho, across the west bank of the river to the east bank, to the place they called Bethany beyond the Jordan, or 
the place of the crossing. There's some particularities about the road between Jerusalem and the baptizing place. Warm, moist air from the Mediterranean Sea flows across the coastal plain until it reaches the elevated ridge line on which Jerusalem sits. The ridge sponges all the moisture out of the air, leaving the land to the east of Jerusalem to bake in the sun. Jerusalem sits at 2,747 feet above sea level. Jericho is on the way down at 864 feet below sea level. And the Jordan River bed lies even deeper into the Great Rift Valley, the lowest place on earth. A person walking the 23 miles from Jerusalem to the Jordan is going down into an environment that is totally barren and parched except for an ancient well in Jericho, the oasis of Jericho. The road is steep going down, and as you can imagine, would feel even more steep trekking back up. Level of difficulty notwithstanding, this road was a major thoroughfare for trading caravans, military personnel, and the pilgrims who visited Jerusalem multiple times each year. It was considered dangerous, a hideout for bandits, as we see in Jesus' story of the Good Samaritan, which is set on that road. Maybe this was part of the reason people were traveling in crowds. They wanted to see John, but it was kind of a dangerous trip. And then once you got down there and got baptized, you'd have to walk back up. I would say it was a pretty compelling message from John to bring so many of every demographic, every socioeconomic class, urban dwellers, villagers and farmers, religious professionals, everyone in the vicinity of Jerusalem, for whatever reason, heard this invitation somehow, and they also came down from Galilee. Kind of makes you feel like God planned it that way, right? God is always working, always drawing us, even when we don't know it. The Jordan River is very long. It's over 150 miles long. Its sources spring from around Mount Hermon, snow-capped, far away in the north between Lebanon and Syria. It gathers its tributaries and courses downhill past the Golan Heights through the Sea of Galilee, and on down into the Jordan Valley, past where John was baptizing, and it terminates in the Dead Sea. But surely it did not escape the people's notice that the place on this long water course that John chose to baptize was the well-known site that Elijah had crossed over before he was taken up into heaven. That generated some excitement. It was also where, long before this, the strong and courageous Joshua had led the nation Israel out of the desert after generations of wandering out of Egypt, crossing the Jordan into the Promised Land. John's appearance, therefore, signaled that something big could be coming, and it was very exciting. But Israel was looking in the wrong direction and going in the wrong direction for the deliverance that God had planned for us. Someone was coming soon, and John was getting people ready. The messenger from God that the prophets foretold was to be the voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way, repent, make a U-turn, 180. Now, in our day, a voice calling in the desert conjures the image of a messenger that no one will come to hear and no one will heed. But in those days, 
the desert voice was exactly the voice that you needed to attend to. And everybody knew it. The wilderness was the perfect place to hear from God. And I want us to take that in because sometimes we feel now that we are in a kind of wilderness. I want you to know the wilderness is the perfect place to hear from God. After John was in prison, Jesus said, if you're willing to accept it, he is the Elijah who was to come. They who have ears to hear, let them hear. I guess they weren't expecting Elijah to be thrown in prison, and so they were wondering. But God can speak in the silence. So John appeared in the wilderness, as foretold by Malachi and Isaiah, to prepare the people for the coming of the Lord. <clears throat> Rosie, I have a little water over there, if you wouldn't mind. Thank you. So we're listening to Mark. John Mark, the cousin of Barnabas and the translator and literary assistant to the Apostle Peter, never met Jesus in the flesh, but he knew the living Lord because Peter introduced him. And he gives us Peter's eyewitness account. That style is straightforward, no extra words. Mark was with Peter in Rome, and probably after Peter was martyred, Mark presented to the frightened, uncertain, endangered, persecuted Christians in Rome this vivid, compelling good news about Jesus Christ, the Son of God, which he constructed totally, and we read in the early letters of different church people then, compelling, vivid, and accurate words that Peter had shared in his sermons. Mark never met Jesus in the flesh, but Peter introduced him, and he gives us Peter's eyewitness account. The style is straightforward. Mark coined the literary term gospel to describe what he had written. The beginning of the gospel, according to Peter, was in fact at John's baptism. And that's important. That tells us something. That tells us there's a certain preparatory step that is needed in the human heart in order to make room for the good news and a ready place for the coming of the Lord. And he called upon the authority of the prophets and the promises of God in times when we can feel so ungrounded, like the world turned upside down, like it was for the Christians in Nero's Rome, and it is sometimes for us. In these days, there's grounding to this gospel. It's grounded in the prophets and the promises. It's grounded in Malachi, who said, when the way was prepared, then suddenly the Lord you're seeking will come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come. And he's fierce. He's a refining God. He will refine his servants like silver and gold until they can bring offerings in righteousness. But who can endure this, the prophet asks. For the Lord will be quick to testify against those who defraud the laborers, who oppress the widows and the fatherless, and deprive the foreigners among you of justice. But do not fear me, says the Lord Almighty. Yes, there's certainly some lamenting and repenting to be done when you hear words like this. 
In the other Gospels, we hear John the Baptist saying to the religious people, Who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? The axe is already at the foot of the tree, and it will be thrown in the fire. Where is the fruit of repentance? Well, it's a good thing that Mark followed up that prophecy with the words of Isaiah. Isaiah was writing to the nation of Israel as it faced a long journey home from exile to a homeland that had become wild and foreign. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for. A voice calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. The reality when Isaiah wrote those words to Israel was that there was a long, tough journey home. The reality for John's hearers was that they were home, but the desert was in their hearts. Their hearts were hard. They were not prepared. I guess we could identify with some of each part of these realities. John's message was this. Someone is coming who is worlds above us in power and authority. We await his majesty, the king of kings and the lord of lords. The baptism that Jesus will bring is supernatural. It's mind-blowing. It is life-changing. Listen, John said, I have this water here, and I can run it through my hands, and I can dunk you in it to signify an about-face in your life and give you a push in the right direction. But this one who's coming... He has the Holy Spirit in his hands. And he can dunk you in the Holy Spirit and make new life get born inside of you. I'm telling you right now, get rid of anything that's standing in the way. So how do we prepare for the Lord? We're good people. What could we possibly have to repent for? And we don't really like to hear about it either. But God has been clarifying this for me because I've been asking about lamenting and repenting. The Lord said this, you may think you're on the gospel train, but I, the Lord, have my priorities. I have priorities of caring for the poor, the oppressed, the hungry, the lonely, the empty, the confused, and the lost. I have a priority for teaching and making disciples. I have a priority for prayer. Haven't I made it amply clear in my word, said the Lord. But when you turn away because you have other priorities, you prefer to mine. Or you don't take my word seriously because you don't recognize me for who I am. Then, as you do these things, you are turning your face towards idols. And you are hopping off the gospel train. And you are hopping onto the fast transit, back into bondage. Although you may not realize it. Repent, said the Lord. My kindness leads to repentance. I want to gather you under my wings like a hen gathering her chicks. If you will recognize who I am, said the Lord. This is what the Lord said when I looked in God's word. Those who have ears to hear, let them hear. Therefore, let us repent of closed ears or indifferent eyes. Let us pray that our eyes would be opened. And let us pray that we will not end up preparing our own way instead of preparing the Lord's way. Simply by assuming that we know what God is doing without actually taking the time to listen carefully to what God has said.
So now I want you to see Jesus standing in the Jordan River because he walked down from Galilee for John's baptism to fulfill human righteousness because he was fully human. I want you to see Jesus as he comes up out of the water and the Holy Spirit comes and rests on him like a dove. And the voice from heaven says, this is my beloved son. Listen to him because he was fully God. I want you to see Jesus right there taking on the responsibility of the Lamb of God because he has come to stand for us between the righteous fire of God to which Malachi gives voice and the gracious hope and promises of God held out by Isaiah. Jesus is standing in the gap. Let us understand what's at stake. John the Baptist understands. He sees the axe at the root of the trees. Mark understands. He knows about burning. Mark was in Rome with Peter when Rome burned, and Emperor Nero started lighting Christians on fire to divert attention away from the rumors that he had set the great blaze himself. Peter and Mark were witnesses to and lived into the contrast between the terrifying threat of monstrous execution and the comforting fellowship of the Holy Spirit. Peter wrote this, Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, for you know that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of suffering. And the God of grace who calls you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. We may be standing in the fire, but we are not standing alone. If we had to stand up under our sin before God, we could not do it, but Jesus can. Jesus has taken personal responsibility for the sins of the world. I I need to make a button out of that, or a t-shirt. Jesus has taken personal responsibility for the sins of the world. Jesus is standing with the burning desert at his back, the places of bondage from which we need deliverance, from which we have been delivered. And Jesus is standing with the promised land before him, the place of peace and reconciliation, that place of blessing to which he beckons us when he says, follow me. Clearly the way is not going to be easy. Jesus never says that. We still have to hike back up out of that valley and all the valley still ahead. But he does say, my yoke is easy and you will find rest. This is the beginning of the good news of Jesus the Messiah. It is, in fact, the beginning of the proclamation of the true and conquering king. The call to repent and prepare a way is a strong comfort to those who have ears to hear because it brings light into darkness and power into powerlessness. But the key here is that it's just the beginning. Mark's gospel is rather short. It's immediate and fast-paced most of the way through. Fast-forwarding to the last chapter, it ends abruptly at the empty tomb with instructions to the terrified disciples, don't be frightened. Jesus has risen. Run and tell the others. Tell Peter. Jesus is going ahead of you into Galilee, just as he told you. And then, you know, Mark says they didn't tell anyone because they were afraid. They didn't even tell their friends the good news because they were afraid. 
that sure gives us some material to identify with, doesn't it? But you know what? The Christians in Rome knew that the story had not ended there. Jesus' followers did find the courage to speak. They passed on the knowledge of the Lord, passed it on to the Christians in Rome. And he filled them with his spirit. Jesus promised they could find him, and they did. Jesus is still going ahead of us, and he is still inviting us. This is the good news. Pray pray with me now. Father God, we thank you so much for gathering here today at your feet, at your throne. Thank you for sending your spirit here to fill us and to give us words and understanding and to cause love to burn in our hearts for one another and for the world. We thank you for feeding us on your word and inviting us to your table. There we will taste and see our communion with you as we remember and present your sacrifice to the world until you come again. Lord, here we lift our prayers for the world, for the country, the community, and our congregation, that you would spread a mantle of peace and recovery over us all, that you'd let us see what is true and right, and that you would Cause us to let go of the things that are untrue and that are wrong. We believe in you, God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. And we believe in you, Jesus Christ, our Lord, the only begotten and completely unique Son of God. You were conceived by the Holy Spirit within the womb of your human mother, Mary, and born to her, although she was a virgin. You walked among us, proclaiming your kingdom teaching righteousness, forgiving sins, and healing the sick, feeding hungry hearts, opening the blind eyes, and sitting at the table to eat with sinners like us. When the time had fully come, you gave us a new covenant in your blood. You suffered under Pontius Pilate. You allowed yourself to be crucified. You died there for our sins, and you were buried. You descended into hell. But on the third day, you rose from the dead. You ascended through the heavens and took your seat at the right hand of God the Father. From there, you will come again to judge the living and the dead. Holy Spirit, we believe in you. And in the church universal, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting, we put all our trust and hope in you, Jesus. And together, we cast our lot with you. And so, Lord, we offer ourselves to you today as a living sacrifice. Let your Holy Spirit move in power over us and over these earthly gifts of bread and juice that we will take together, that they may become for us a communion in the body and the blood of Christ with all who share this feast throughout the world. Through Christ, with Christ, in Christ, in the unity of the Holy Spirit, all glory and honor are yours, Almighty God, now and forever. As Jesus taught us, we now pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.